chapter 9, we'll start reading at verse 36 in just a couple of minutes. I want to set the stage by saying that we are continuing a series that we've been involved in for several weeks called Empowered, the Spirit-Filled Life. And the reason for this is because we um, have discovered in the book of Acts a group of people who changed the world. The book of Acts is the story of the birth and expansion of the church of Jesus Christ. And these people who were just like you and me. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some sort of, um, you know, script that a, that a, a, a fictional script. This is really, ha- this really happened. These were real people, regular, everyday people like you and me, who because they took Jesus seriously and believed that he could do the things he said he would do, changed the known world. It's an amazing read. The things that happened just blow my mind when I read what what these people experienced as they walked with, uh, with one another in concert with the Holy Spirit in pursuit of, of the Lord Jesus. So as we've done that, we've figured out that God did not intend for the Christian life to be purely cerebral, intellectual, theological, doctrinal. It's not something of the mind. He meant or mind only. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord doesn't intend for us when we come to faith in Christ to hang our brains on a hook someplace. He gave us our brains on purpose. So it's not that I'm anti-intellectual. In fact, quite the opposite. And if you know me, you know that's true. But if that's all we've got is what we think or what we know about God, we don't have the whole package. Because God meant for the Christian life to be an experience, an experience where we see, actually see, feel, and touch Jesus Christ at work in this world. Putting his power on display through the lives of people who will simply trust him. That's what he intends for the Christian life to be like. And when I read the book of Acts, I say to myself, God, I want my life with you to look more like this than it did yesterday. And if that's your prayer today, then you're in the right spot and you're with the right people. And let's ask God to do more of that in our lives. So we've been talking about who the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, by the way, God, and what he's up to in this world and how we can allow him to fill us and overflow us. And then we began to also talk about the gifts that this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wants to dispense through us to the meeting of the needs that that are around us. And heaven knows there's lots of needs around us that require miraculous answers. And so the Holy Spirit, we're told in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, has nine gifts, supernatural enablings that he wants to uh, deliver through us to meet needs in this world. And they are tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom and discerning of spirits. Faith, miracles, and healings. There's nine of them. And I've divided those up just arbitrarily into three triads. We've been talking about them in this way. The first three, the power to communicate. Tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. And then we talked about 
the power to understand, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. And today we're going to begin to talk about the final three in that of those nine gifts of the spirit, faith, miracles, and healings, which I call the power to change things. And we're going to shoot, the, or shoot out the gate talking about faith, the gift, the spiritual gift, the gift of the spirit that is faith. So Acts chapter 9, verse 36 Um, Let me set it up for you a little bit. Peter, the Apostle Peter, has been ministering in a uh, city called Lydda. Close by is another city named Joppa, and that's where we pick up the story. Peter's not there, but he will be soon. At Joppa, verse 36 says, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha which is translated Dorcas. Both of those words, Tabitha, Dorcas, in two different languages, they mean gazelle. Uh, you know, so don't feel too bad about a girl being named Dorcas, all right? So she had a, she had a nicer name than that. <clears throat> the, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And this was the practice of the Jews, how they um, handled uh, the deceased. They washed their bodies. And in preparation for their burial, they would lay them out so they could, uh, there would be a viewing and so on. And since Lydda, that's the city, remember I said, where Peter's at. Since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples, that means the Christ followers there in Joppa, had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him imploring him not to delay in coming to them. So they, they, they send some guys to go get him. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. He sent them out of the room and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said. Notice, he didn't turn to to Tabitha. It doesn't say that. He didn't turn to Dorcas. He turned to the body because she's gone. She's, She's dead. She's gone. He turns to the body and he says simply her name, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. When he ca- and when he had called all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Do you believe that this actually happened? I hope so. But I'll admit to you, it's hard to believe. (laughs) It's hard to believe. But I do. And I hope you do too. Because the Bible, we either believe this book or we don't. And if we don't, we're in a world of trouble. (laughs) It starts with God. By the way, it starts with God. If you believe in God, I assume that's what brought you here today. The rest is downhill from there. If you believe in God, you can believe that somebody was raised from the dead. So I got news for you. If you believe in God, you believe in miracles. 
Now, think about this. I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Okay, we tend to think, you know, of Peter and Paul and John, these apostles, as sort of stained glass figurines, you know, or or, uh, statuary, that they are somehow otherworldly, that they were, you know, these super saints or something. They weren't. In fact, this happens really not that long from when this same guy, Peter, denied even knowing Jesus. A little servant girl came up to him and said, hey, didn't you used to hang out with with this guy that's on trial, this Jesus guy? Oh, no, I've never heard of him before. This same guy, Peter, this is him. The guy who was always putting his foot in his mouth every time he turned around. Fisherman Peter, that's, this is him. Now, a woman has died, and they call for him. Now, he, de- he probably doesn't know what the circumstances are yet. Some guys knock on his door and say, hey, uh, let's go, and let's go now. Okay. He gets dressed. He's out the door. They go upstairs to this room. There's a dead body there. And I imagine by now it's starting to dawn on Peter. They want me to do something about this. Picture yourself, yourself. You're in this room. What, what do you do? I, I'll tell you what, it's not going to occur to me. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just pray and she'll rise from the dead. <laughs> I bet you as that began to dawn on Peter, they expect me to do something about this. That's when he decided, um, why don't you guys all leave the room here? I need to have some quiet time. And he gets on his knees and he starts to pray. And I'll bet you that prayer time was pretty intense. God, what have you gotten me into here? What am I supposed to do about this? That is a corpse. Somewhere along the line in here, the spiritual gift, the the spiritual gift of faith surges into his soul and the result was he says Tabitha arise and she does she does now I (laughs) I realize that this is kind of an outsized story a story kind of outsized or outside of most of our experience But I happen to know someone who was called upon in much the same fashion. A missionary that I know personally who was called upon to a scene just like this, a corpse on the table. And people standing around going, oh, we loved this person. Can you do something? And my friend prayed over that dead corpse and he came to life. Now, you know, you can write that off as some sort of spooky, you know, campfire story. It isn't. It really happened. I know the people involved. You can say, oh, well, the person wasn't really dead, just seemed like it. These were primitive people. They didn't really know what a dead body was. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) They knew the person was dead. They already prepared the body body for burial. Today's message is not about uh, seeing dead people rise from the from their 
death. Um, it could be. It's more about you and I facing challenges that are way above our pay grade in terms of faith. And I'll bet you've had some of those. I'll bet some things have confronted your life that were like mountains too high to climb. God, how am I supposed to get over that thing? How am I supposed to handle this thing? And it's in those moments, dear ones, that we have available to us a gift of the Spirit. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we've learned. It's not something that we've earned. And yet, there it is. God providing the faith that causes us to trust him to, be, to do something beyond what we could imagine. That's what we're talking about. Look, what is faith? Faith is a confident belief or trust. Simply that. A confident belief. It's not something you work up. Sometimes Christians get this weird idea that faith is something you have to generate. Like, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, come on. It's not that. Faith is something you have. I trust you, Jesus. And there are three types of faith. One is, the first one is saving faith. If you today consider yourself saved or someone who is a Christ follower, someone who uh, some, has given your life to, to Jesus, you are in that state because of a faith, a gift of faith that God gave you. The Bible says you didn't, that didn't come from you. Our salvation is on the basis of faith, and that faith is a gift from God, the Bible says. And it was delivered to you, that faith came to you by way of the word of God, the Bible says. Somehow or another, you in your lost state encountered something of the word of God. You may not have known that. No, someone may not, it might have been that someone said, you know, in Hebrews chapter and verse, it might not have been that way. It might have been something that was very, um, uh, casually spoken. Uh, it might have been something that was that you didn't realize was the word of God, but it was. And what it did is it ignited a gift of faith in you that allowed you to believe in Jesus as your savior, saving faith. And then there's the fruit of the spirit, a faith that the Bible says is the result of something that's growing in me. As I walk with Jesus through this life, as I follow him and, and seek him and pray and, and read his word, faith is developing because I see what he does in my life. I'm, I'm experiencing him, and so my confidence in him and what he can do is growing. It's developing. And the Bible says that that growth in faith, that happens through trials and testings. We don't like those things. None of us like challenges of life, but those are the things that, that uh, cause the muscles of our faith to grow. And so there's that kind of faith, the fruit of the Spirit. But then there's this, the gift of the Spirit, the spiritual gift of faith that is a sudden surge of confidence in the Lord's ability to do something beyond doubt and it's usually in response to a crisis. And I, you know, it's just uh, those moments when beyond what I have, what, how my faith has developed, God grants me the ability to trust him for something greater still. And that's what happened to Peter in that room with a dead, a dead body. 
God gave him the ability to trust him for something great. You know, I was about 26, um, and uh, I had just completed my Bible training, and I had felt for many years that the Lord had called me to become a pastor. And I was serving at that time in a, on the staff of another church, a, lar- a large church, and uh, preparing to uh, step out and either... Well, I really never considered um, taking over the pastorate of an existing church. Somehow that just never appealed to me. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to plant or to start a new church. And, um, but I didn't know where. And, you know, like I'm 26 years old. And even though at that stage of your life you think you can do anything, at the same time I also knew I was a punk. And I thought, you know, who in the world is going to want to call me pastor? You know, I'm just a kid. Uh, green and as green as they come, you know. But still, I was driving, uh, Sue and I were dri- and our three kids, we had three kids, uh, five and under in age, and we were driving along 580 between Tracy and the 680 interchange where Dublin and Pleasanton is. You guys know that area? So we're driving west along 580 there. And I, it had been, we'd been on vacation, it was a long drive, and I'm just watching the white lines go by, you know, I was in the zone, you know. And all of a sudden, I had a picture that came to my mind, and it was of me, and it was like I was seeing the picture through my eyes, but I knew it was me, it was my eyes, and I was looking out on a group of people like this before whom I was standing, and there was a lectern like this, and I felt like the Lord gave me two things. I felt like I knew this was a picture of a church that I was pastoring. Two, that this church was in the city of Pleasanton. Don't ask me how I knew that. There weren't any signs in the vision or anything like that, but I just came away knowing those two things. And I said to Sue after we got home and I was telling her about this thing that happened to me, I said, can you believe this? I mean... How could that even be possible? We don't even know anybody in, in Pleasanton. How, how would... And, she, you know, <laughs> we both were just talking about how unlikely this was, scenario this was. And, but then there's this thing, this surge of, of faith that came into our hearts that's hard to describe, but I know that it was this gift of the... Spirit, this faith to believe God for something greater than we could have uh, um, expected, greater than our faith had grown into. It's like the Lord gave us shoes bigger than our feet would fill, and then he gave us the, the I don't know, what that, that analogy is, is failing me right now, but you kind of get the idea. And uh, so we began to talk to our leadership and say, you know what? We feel like the Lord wants us to plant a church in Pleasanton. Oh, well, that's good. We'll pray for you. (laughs) And we started looking around town to find out where's a place we could rent to have people come to church meetings. And the only place we could find that we could afford was the jockey's locker room at the county fairgrounds. And it was tiny. I mean, jockeys are tiny. Anyway, it was tiny, and there's these little little lockers all the way around the perimeter of the room, open shower stalls in the back. It, it really was their, their changing room, locker room, and that's all we got. And um, 
But we were planning to start having services there, and it was in October of 1982, first Sunday in October. And as we were getting closer to that day, I felt like the Lord gave me another one of those things where he was giving me the ability to trust him for something more than I could have. He said to me, Randy, I want you to trust me for 100 people to show up there on that first Sunday. Now, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but to me, that sounded like, you have got to be kidding. That's, I was hoping my kids would show up. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's, I, and I thought, God, come on. But, but no, I, I had that, uh, I just had that thing. I could trust God for this. I don't know how to explain it. But I told Sue, I said, honey, we're gonna have 100 people there on that first Sunday. And God bless the wonderful woman that she is. She didn't crack up and fall on the floor in laughter. And make a long story short, that first Sunday when we opened the door, there was 106 people that entered into that little jockey's locker room. Now, that's not a huge church by any means, but it was like a moonshot. It was really, it was for me. It was like, like raising a, dead, a person from the dead. And I just feel like you and I, we encounter stuff in our lives where we need to know that we can count on a God who will be there with the faith we need in those moments by his spirit. There are people in the circles of your life's influence who have needs today that God wants to answer through your faith by the gift of the Holy Spirit. He can do that. The second of these um, gifts that I want to talk to you about today is the gift of uh, working of miracles. Let me get through these things. Working of miracles. I want to define uh, the terms. Miracle first. The word miracle is the word dunamis or dinamis, depending on how, what pronunciation um, scheme you're using. It's a Greek word for power. And I want you to pay attention to this. It literally means the power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. The power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. In other words, it's not power that comes from outside. It's power that resides within a thing by reason of its nature. And then the word working is a word that just means the effect produced. So the effect, working of miracles means the effect produced by the power that resides in a thing by virtue of its nature. The reason that's important is because when it comes to miracles, most of us as Christians, we say, hallelujah, I want to believe in miracles and I hope somebody else gets to see them, but that'll never happen with me. We, mo we count ourselves out of these things. But if you, dear one, are a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have a nature that is power itself. A new nature, the Bible says. You're the old man, the person you used to be, doesn't exist anymore. The Bible says the old has passed away and all things have become new. That new nature includes the power of God that resides in you. You are, 
I said this word power comes from the Greek word dunamis. It is the Greek word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. As a believer in Jesus, you are a stick of dynamite. All that has to happen is it to be ignited. The power resides already there. And the circumstances, the conditions, the needs that surround us are the ignition that sets off this explosive power of God, if we will allow him to do so. Now, <clears throat> the Bible says that also, and actually, I haven't asked you yet, but I'd like to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4. You've been in Acts chapter 9, so backpack or backpedal a little bit to Acts chapter 4, and we'll start reading in verse 29. Because the Bible says, we're going to read it here and in some other places, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is meant to be declared with miracles. We live in a day when almost always the gospel is the good news of Jesus, and don't get me wrong, I love the gospel, but often, almost always separated from the miracles of, of God's power. And we talk about the gospel, and we want to get people saved, and we should. But the Bible says that the communication of the gospel is supposed to be coupled with the demonstration of its power. Okay, chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Read with me verse 29 where it says this. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Let me explain. Peter and John have been, were, were taken uh, captive in prison they were beaten they were told oh, we're going to let you go but don't you dare speak about jesus ever again and if you do uh worse things are going to happen to you by the religious elite they've they've told him that so they first thing they do is they get some other believers together and they start praying and they say now lord look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Listen, if you're ever in a prayer meeting and the ground starts to shake, you'd probably think, well, we just prayed a pretty good prayer, I think. <laughs> and that's what happens here. God was saying, Amen to this prayer, which was, God, we want to boldly speak your word, declare the gospel by stretching out your hand to heal and that mighty signs and wonders would be done in your name. Those two things go together. You can also um, read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, where it's, we're told that these go hand in hand, the declaring of the gospel and the miraculous power of God, that they go together. Now, what we're also told to avoid, to be careful of, to be warned against a powerless gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says, when people preach the gospel with, and pull out of it, take away from it, cut it off from the miraculous power of God, steer clear of those people. Now, when we come to the whole idea of God being able to use us to work miracles, 
we tend to, as I've already said, opt out. We tend to think that we don't belong in that category of people who, through whom God could work miracles. But I want you to note this, that in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says that we have this power in earthen vessels. Look around the room. You're sitting next to and around people who are just clay pots, earthen vessels. And, but in those earthen vessels resides the power of God. And it says also that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Look, I can sign up for that. I feel like a clay pot, and I feel pretty weak most of the time. So if that qualifies me to be used by God miraculously, sign me up. And that's exactly the case. And we're going to go home in just a minute after I read two more verses of Scripture. Acts chapter 6. Let's turn there because I want you to see graphically illustrated the fact that miraculous power was not only for the apostles. Now, there was a situation that... Uh, came to be in the early church where they were having, they, they had taken on the responsibility of, of uh, caring for the widows, you know, making sure they had food and clothing and that kind of thing. <clears throat> and there was a complaint that started to rise up. And so the apostles, they said, well, you know what, we got bigger fish to fry. We, I'm not, we're not going to spend a lot of time on trying to sort out this administrative situation. Let's get some guys, let's put together a committee of people to handle this. So they got seven men to be in charge of making sure that the resources were equally and equitably distributed to the widows that were in need. There were seven guys, as I said, and two of them were named Stephen and Philip. We're going to read two verses, one about Stephen, one about Philip. These were not apostles. These were just guys who volunteered to take care of a problem in the church. Just like you, just like me, people, everyday people, just like us. Got me? You following me? Chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now chapter 8, verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Listen, if a contemporary um, writing of the books, book of Acts were possible, I want to ask you this question. Would there be a verse about you in it? There could be. There should be. None of us have any less qualifications for being used miraculously by God than did Peter, John, Paul, Stephen, or Philip, or any of the rest that populate these wonderful pages of the book of Acts. And I'm here before you today just to say, with you, God Write me into the story. Write me into the story of what you're doing in these days. 
I want to be a stick of dynamite. Light me up. This is recording number 11201 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 28, 2016. This is the eighth message in a series titled, Empowered, the Spirit-Filled Life. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Power to Change Things, Part 1.